The views, information, and opinions expressed are those of the featured guests and not those of IG Wealth Management. I'm Manjeet Minhas, one of Canada's top entrepreneurs, and so excited for you to join us today. Through a wealth of women's stories, IG is carving out a space where women's voices are heard. If you're looking for insight and inspiration through powerful storytelling that will resonate with anyone looking for the answers to the questions that we as women ask ourselves, then this series is for you. Today, we're speaking with the incredible Station Frederick, who is over 20 years in the field of community and program development, both internationally and in Canada. Recognized as a top 10 woman of worth by L'Oreal Paris and WXN's top 100 most powerful women, she's the founder of the not-for-profit Braids for AIDS the executive director of Weston Frontline Centre, a youth charity in one of the poorest ridings in Toronto, Ontario, as well as a college professor. Her work has been recognized by Black History Ottawa, the High Commission of Trinidad and Tobago, YMCA Canada, How She Hustles with CBC Toronto, the Black Health Alliance, and the Minister of Immigration and Citizenship. Welcome to the podcast station. Thank you for having me. Wow, that was um, quite an introduction. You are not only well accomplished, but have your hands in a lot of amazing organizations that you contribute to. So definitely right off the bat, I want to say kudos for to all of your work um, in Canada and, and around the world. So, you know, you've accomplished such incredible things that not only have had an impact, obviously, on you and your career, but definitely your community. And um, maybe you can, we can start there and you can tell me a little bit about um, your upbringing, uh, where you were born, uh, your childhood. Yeah, sure. So I grew up uh, in the lovely uh, Trin Island of Trinidad and Tobago. Um, Really, uh, it is Trinidad that really sort of helped to shape uh, who I am as an, an individual. Um, even at the tiny age of, of eight, I had, you know, told my mom that I was going to go abroad and, and work with children. Um, and, you know, looking at my, even my high school, I was involved in the UNESCO club. Uh, I was the president of the Creative Minds. I was the vice president of the Maths Club. I was engaged with the Rotary Club in Trinidad and Tobago. Um, and in fact, recently, I was packing my my old uh, condo and I moved into, into my new house and I ended up finding uh, a document uh, that was given to me by my high school um, principal as a, a recommendation letter. And when I read this particular description of this this 17-year-old, it's the exact same person <laughs> that you see right, you know, today. So really from my, my story and my upbringing, it really was being honed even at a, at a, at a young age and having uh, individuals, having teachers, um, having people who recognize that to me moved uh into to move to Canada um and was very fortunate uh to be um working at the 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 high commission of Trinidad and to, Tobago 
And, and to me, I think of being a, coming to this foreign country, but still being around my community provided a buffer right. for, for me, right? Um, and how, it, old were you, how old were you when you came? Um, I came when um, I was 19. Okay. Um, and, and so, um, you know, again, having that 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 buffer, and we know that racism exists uh, in Canada. Um, but again, I had a lot of protective factors around me that helped buffer those things so that I could navigate society and seize opportunities uh, that that many, you know, didn't, don't have that sort of opportunity. And it's because I know of my privilege is why then I, I see it as my sort of obligation to ensure that racialized and marginalized populations have access because I was given uh, access. And that that is it in its truth really is my my sort of uh, story and my my upbringing um, that you know have led to, to the work uh, that that I do today. Got it. And and so you, upon your entrance, I guess, into Canada, you went to the U of Ottawa and got a psychology and chemistry degree, and then York University for a social work degree. And so talk to me, how was that daunting? Because many people that come from a different country ha- often have to redo or just do education here, you know, when they are older and or when they're coming in you know, often with different cultural background. Um, and post-secondary is very different than in the West Indies or Caribbean um, that it is here. And so talk to me a little bit about that journey for you, why you decided to do that and and how it really affected your career path. Right. So one of the things, and, and maybe you may be familiar with it, and, and I think in, in speaking to many immigrant people, when you're an intelligent person in the Caribbean, many or, or from, from third world countries and you come, you, you get pushed into become a doctor, <laughs> become a lawyer, become an engineer and so that is what was what I was being cultivated and being groomed for because I was mm-hmm. was highly intelligent I actually had gotten a scholarship for chemistry um, and so the plan was to do chemistry then go on to medical school and to become a doctor and through that um i because i was being channeled towards that route i said i was going to specialize in child psychiatry again going back to what i had told my mom as an eight-year-old i wanted to work with with kids so i tried to fit what i wanted to do within what my parents wanted me to do And it was only until my second year of university that I did an elective of psychology. And it made me realize that there could be a different part to what I wanted to achieve. My end goal was simply to work with kids, (laughs) not... Not to shake test tubes for the rest of my life if the, the, the medical um, you know, route didn't happen. I didn't want to be prescribing medication. I just wanted to work with kids. So when I saw that 
um, sort of pathway open up for me. And that's something I talk to a lot of young people um, is you may have an outcome that you're looking for, but there are different parts to that very same um, uh, outcome. And so that's one of the, the key pieces. But I think, uh, you know, what, what helped me in my educational system is that, again, um, I had people that supported me. I, I, I absolutely agree with what you're saying. And, and and that does resonate, like you say, with a lot of immigrants because, you know, I'm born and raised in Calgary, Alberta, but my parents are both uh, from India. And my dad's family in particular um, was a middle-class family in India. And yes, um, my dad is one of four brothers and all of them, doctor, lawyer, engineer. And so we were, you know, in a lot of subtle ways and not so subtle ways told the same thing. And my brother and I did engineering. And I think that the the whole point of that is um, that when immigrants come to this country, they are told that because it gives them um, two feet to stand on. It gives them confidence. It gives them a starting point. It gives them, you know, a place to fall on if things don't work out in whatever else their passions might be. And so I do think it is a fantastic way to um, to to immerse yourself into Canadian culture and and of course educate yourself on, on the same way. I also love what you said about deliberately finding mentors because a lot of people ask, me especially, and many people all the time, how do you find people to support you? How do you find people that are mentors? And I I think that sometimes is a very um, specific term because mentors can come in many different forms. Like you said, um, friends, they can come as somebody to listen. They can come as somebody, you know, just to rely on their network, to learn from, in a variety of different ways, but it does have to be often deliberate. I, I don't necessarily believe in serendipity um, or luck when it comes to that. I do think that you do have to, you know, pick and choose and and get people's attention. And like my grandfather always used to say, you are the average of the five closest people around you at any time in your life, especially when you're an adult. So I I, I, de- I definitely love um, the, those lessons that you've shared with us today. really um, impressive track record for founding and leading successful organizations like Braids for AIDS and the Weston uh, Frontline Center. So tell me how you get your motivation, where you get your motivation and drive and perseverance from. Right. Well, I think uh, for me, there's just a couple of things. One, I am Uh, As you shared about your sort of family uh, background, I uh, come from a family. I have two older brothers. Um, Two of the two of them went to Princeton University, (laughs) and um, (laughs) it was one of of competition uh, in our in in our family. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, So 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 that was was one one sort of the uh, a driver for me. Um, I also in in having those relationships with my my brother and one in particular, you know, even at a young age. He had said something to me which has has resonated uh, throughout my life. Um, And he said, always strive for excellence so that you will not be in a place 
where you are begging at people's door, but they are the ones that are coming to your door for your uh, expertise. And this was at 12 years old. He, oh, wow. he, you know, he said that uh, to me. And I also went to a, a very prestigious uh, high school um, in the Caribbean, um, in Trinidad. And, and through those two as well, uh, there were certain values that were instilled uh, in, in me. And I remember... At one point in time, and this was when I was doing my speech for the the top ten women of with uh, award with with L'Oreal, and in my speech, um, you know, it's sometimes you 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 don't realize some of the things that what individuals have said to you over your the course of your your life. But you know, at some point in time, you may stop and and sort of reflect. And the principal of my school used to always say, "Is that you are a woman of worth." And so, you know, these are the, 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 the values that I think that I am a woman of worth. I'm worth it, right? One, right. um, you have to know thyself um, is key and, and important when you're facing advert- adversity, when it's pushing through some of these organizations. So, again, grades for AIDS, um, you know, there's so much stigma around HIV AIDS um, in many communities, but in particularly the Black community. And you receive a lot of rejection from individuals who are not wanting to speak about these, these topics, but knowing the importance of the things that, you, that you're putting forward to people is, is important to say, I know that what I'm offering you is a value. Right. right. I and that's and that's the confidence that I walk with when I am writing proposals, when I'm advocating for my community. I know my community uh, uh, um, are with it. Right. I I know that the black youth that I work work with they are with it, and the programs that we are offering to for them um, have have deliverables and uh, uh, actually showing outcomes. I would put forward the things that I put forward if I'm not passionate and I'm not believing in it. And that is what you know carries me along in terms of all the different organizations that I work. It's the belief in the work that, that I do and that, I, that I, I need to push forward because if not, not me, who will? And yes, right. there, there will, you know, there will be somebody that, but right now I've been placed here to do something. And of course, you know, that, that great sort of quote is be the change that you would like to see in the world. Right. I love that you are com- very honest about uh, the healthy competition you have with your siblings and your fellow students, because I think that so many people talk about other things and, and they don't really um, get honest with their audience or, or, or even themselves sometimes as to sometimes what things drive us. It's a combination of many factors always, but healthy competition and competition at its root definitely is a, a, a very big driving factor for a lot 
lot of entrepreneurs and, and individuals when they're when they're setting out to make change, which I think is really honest of you. And so I, I want to just um, get back to that mentorship piece because I think it's so valuable for our listeners and for women to to really uh, listen and talk about how others get mentors in their lives. Because in my career, I've been so fortunate to have some incredible mentors, both in my personal life and in my professional life, um, understanding that there are often different individuals. Um, because I truly believe that mentorship is a, a very powerful resource. And one of the factors that has helped me through um, understanding and strengthening my leadership skills, because I too, like you, started very young. I started when I was 19 years old and you're still figuring out who you are and never mind how to lead others and, you know, change around you. And so were there any individual mentors or leaders in your life that you've looked up to that help have guided you to your path to success? Yeah. So I, I always speak about my boss at my previous job before I became the head of uh, this charity that I that I run um and her name is Erica Taylor and uh, one of the things she always said that she she didn't like to be called my mentor mm. um she wanted to be considered more of a sponsor because she she mm -hmm. thought this is a highly smart young woman that was was in her sort of presence and it was more about creating opportunities um and you know seeing through her network you know who it is that she can connect me with one of the other things that i loved about uh, erica is that she just there was this unconditional positive regard that, you know, I could go out in the world, <laughs> I could make mistakes, and I always have somebody that sees the best in me. Right. Somebody and, who wants you to grow. Agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, when, um, and, and this was a formal role, this was, you know, she was my supervisor, so, you know, you could have mentors who are your supervisors. Um, other people in my life, I, I wouldn't have considered them necessarily mentors, but I would have considered them as champions, as supporters. Again, people who I can just reach out um, and connect with if I am struggling with, with something. And I think... Um, I have had people where the, the relationship also to it was reverse mentorship. So it wasn't just that I was right. that I was receiving mentorship from them, but they also saw that they could receive some sort of um, advice um, to seek some sort of knowledge. And that is such a beautiful um, relationship. So even for the young people that I work with who would reach out to me um, outside of these particular uh, organizations that I work, work in that want to get mentorship, for me and I say I want to when I when I you know agree to mentor somebody I ask them what do you think that you could bring to me as well um, and even for the young people I also say to them I want to learn from you um, as as well because I think that that came from my relationship with Erica where it was she also relied 
on my sort of knowledge and expertise. Yeah, that mentorship is a two-way street. You know, it's often as a mentee, you have a lot more to offer than you might think you do. And uh, that is the longest lasting relationship because that's exactly what a mentor-mentee relationship is and, is. and it can be flipped many times over because in this day and age, nobody knows everything. And even um, if you are a seasoned, experienced uh, individual in a variety of different ways, you still always want to learn. And that's what makes a great leader is that you're learning from everybody around you including those that you are mentoring. So I, I I really do love that you recognize that because I truly only recognize that when I became a mentor because I initially thought about 10 years ago, my goodness, it takes up so much time. But then I discovered very quickly that I was getting a lot more out of the relationship that I thought I was even giving. And so um, it, 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 it re-energizes you in a, in a really interesting and different way. So I love that you ask the mentees, what do you have to give? It makes them sit back and think, what are they really good at? What are they skilled at? And, and what experiences do they have in their lives? Whether they're 20, 30, 40, or 50, it really doesn't matter. Everybody has some sort of skill, some talent, and, and life experience that we all want to learn from. So I do love that to understanding that it is a give and a take. It's not just a take from uh, the mentee, which is really important. So now we want to uh, switch topics a little bit and talk about leadership as a mindset. Um, you know, many individuals think when you use the word leader that uh, they often are associating that with an executive title and, and many years of experience and perhaps even responsibility over large teams of individuals. But we all know that that is not true, that leadership has much less to do with the title, but more with the mindset or a set of values or behavior. Years. And so how would you describe those values or behaviors that you followed in your career that have contributed to your success? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great sort of framing um, and then the asking of the question. I just want to share one story before I actually look at, you know, and talk about some of those leadership yeah. skills. So right out of university, I uh, applied for a job and it was a leadership facilitator with an organization called the National Organization for Immigrant and Visible Minority Women of Canada. Very long name. And in, in this particular role, I would be supporting women to apply for uh, board positions um, on various you know, corporations or, or not-for-profit uh, organizations for these women to get into leadership uh, positions. And here I was, you know, a 22, 23-year-old uh, providing leadership workshops to women who are 45, 50, <laughs> etc. Um, and, you know, I, a lot of self-doubt uh, in regards to my ability uh, to, to, you know, facilitate this, this, this workshop. And I really had to, to think about, you know, well, first of all, why did I apply for this job? And when I looked at the job description, it fit. Someone who uh, knows how to take initiative, someone who is able to motivate, someone who's able to share vision, 
these are, are the things that are looking around leadership skills. And those are the things that I was doing from a very you know young age. And, and those are some of the characteristics of leadership, being able to bring various stakeholders from different walks of life, different beliefs, and being able to come up, uh, come around a shared vision. And so these are some of the things that I see around leadership. So anyone can be a leader. You do not have to be the head of an organization, but are you able to engage people, to listen to, to, to people? Um, uh, are really some of those things around uh, leadership uh, skills that I um, are able to implement in the different organizations uh, that I work work in. Right. Yeah. Leadership is not a position or title, uh, what you're saying. And, and it's, it's action and it's example. And um, I, I truly do believe that also. And I, and I do like you saying that it can start at any age in any form. Right. Um, and I think that, like you said before, racism is real. Misogyny is real. And so is ageism. And you talked about being a 20 year old um, teaching leadership, but sometimes I think that word is very deceiving. And so what do you do to, to challenge your values and beliefs and move forward. Because I think a big, a big part of all way, a leadership is um, having humility and clarity and courage and having that humility to be able to challenge yourself to listen to others. So what do you do in order to do that to make sure that you're moving your own dial? Yeah, you said it, but I'll, I'll reiterate you know, that piece, which is um, being able to listen to, uh, to people's stories. Um, you know, one, I have an open door uh, policy. Anybody from the organization, from, you know, the volunteers of the organization, placement students out of, uh, you know, in, in college can come into, into my office to challenge my, you know, any sort of thing that has, you know, been put forward uh, in, in the organization. And you have to be able to listen to people's stories. And I tell, I tell my, my staff is, you know, I, as a leader, um, you, you're absolutely able to challenge me. And, but in challenging me, here are some of the frameworks that I need for you to present me with too. You know, is there a risk to the organization? Is there a risk to the um, young people that we serve? And is there a risk to, to, to staff? And let's have conversations with within these these things. And and you know, even yesterday, I had a conversation with somebody who you know in the process um, of of sort of hiring. And you know, and she said to me, "This is the first time that you know she has had a conversation with somebody that she didn't feel that it was judgmental." Mm. And that that is part of uh, you know. Leadership is not being judgmental so that you can hear, so other people can feel that you are, are open, that you're someone that they could be able to talk to, which can then in turn help shape your beliefs, right? Um, and so that's one of the things that I sort of um, keep and, and, and remain open to people's stories. Everyone is different, right? I... Um, Again, my upbringing, the lens that I carry as a black woman, right, is, is an, a, a black 
middle-class woman is very different from a poor black woman or a, a poor uh, white woman. That's the, the, the piece of intersectionality. And each person have a story. And so I must be able to hear those stories because it's that collective story that helps create beauty. And we know that in looking at studies around um, having diversity of thought helps lead in innovation. Very true. And so it is absolutely important for me as a leader to, to, to challenge my, my, my values, my beliefs, my, you know, all the, the things that I carry because I'm only one individual. And so how do you in turn uh, challenge others around you in the same sort of way? Mm. You know, I, as, as a leader and, and working with, Many of my direct, uh, you know, uh, staff and and those in in direct, the, the values that you know we instill as an an organization is one that is around uh, inclusion. If we say that we we value it, how are we measuring it? Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's one of the things that I don't see a lot of uh, leaders doing in this diversity and social inclusion space. They say they value diversity and inclusion, but they're not measuring it. And so when my staff know that I'm measuring their their, their inclusion, it, it's, it, it may sound counterproductive that you're forcing people to be diverse and, and inclusive. But if I say to my staff, if I am doing a survey around your leadership, then that sort of forces people that they have right. to be inclusive and to and to, to hear various stories. I'm a true, true believer in if it gets measured, it gets done. Um, I I preach that a lot within my own organization and every board table that I sit on because I completely agree with you. The the only way I I I find um, in my experience is um, for you to measure it in order for it for everybody to take it seriously, but also to reevaluate it and to challenge you know a variety of different um, thoughts and your purpose in the end of the day. So thanks for that. I, 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 in your, in your honesty with that. So I want to move to empowering others. I'm sure you and your team have faced a lot of no's over the years and continue to, and particularly in the nonprofit industry when trying to secure funding for grants. So how do you keep your team motivated, particularly when you're faced with obstacles and setbacks and yourself? Mm -hmm. That is such a, a large sort of question and, and and my response I'll try to make it simple but again it's knowing that we have something that is is innovative we know that our young people are worth it we know that our programs are well designed it is driven from community knowing the purpose of what we're doing is is key so that when there's setbacks I there was a time where I applied to a funder three times. 
for the exact same program. And I kept the rejection letter in my purse. I knew that program was, was deserving of funding. And I kept on applying and we got the funding. Mm-hmm. It's it's because I and I, I don't mean it to sound cheesy, right? But the work that we do is purposeful, it is mm-hmm. meaningful, it is thoughtful, and I will continue to tell my staff when we don't get success, you know, when it's not uh, successful. Um is that don't let this make us, don't let this set us back. But let's use this to push forward because we know that it's worth it. Right. And, and, and so I, I, I hear through all of that, your optimism, you definitely are the definition of perseverance, but it also comes down to your mindset, um, which doesn't let you uh, kick yourself and feel down. Like you learn, but you keep going and you try other things. And, and, and I, and I think that's the same thing to be said for, you know, all successful entrepreneurs. What I hear from that is optimism always. And I hear mindset is what changes and motivates you through perseverance and a lot of just really trying and trying again, you know, the trying and failing, um, which is what everybody does in their life, uh, no matter what sector you're in. And I do uh, truly believe that that is what I'm sure motivates all those around you um, because they see how you don't let it set you back and you don't think of it as a setback. You think of it as a learning experience you think of how else can I get what I what I'm trying to achieve here because I'm also a true believer in that almost every successful person um, has two beliefs and the two the two beliefs are that the future can be better than the present and that I have the power to make it so Maggie, can I can I jump because I, w- I want to say that like as I was you know, sort of prepared, I said, you know, one of the things is that, yes, I hope for a better world. And recently I was being interviewed and, and the lady on the phone, she's like, you're, you're just so positive, right? And, and I said, you know, well, I could, you know, choose to be, um, you know, sad about it or I could choose to do something. And I believe I have the skills to do it. When I have to have the hope yeah. for, for a better world and a belief that, um, I am able to be part of that change. Yes, yes, I I am there with you for that for sure. So we often hear the saying, rising tides lift all boats, which helps to articulate, you know, the power of women in leadership and how they raise up those around them through empowerment and support. And you're not just exceeding individually um, as a leader, but you're positively impacting a lot of people, you know, around you. And so what do you believe uh, that how these experiences have changed your definition of leadership throughout your career and, and how you were a rising tide that is lifting the boats around you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, when I think about that, that statement, rising uh, tides, um, and, you know, hopefully I'm able to sort of thing, you know, sort of uh, summarize and goes back to everything that that I that I've say, said here is that um, me being a black woman, 
right? Um, knowing that my community has been um, denied access for so many years, mm-hmm. um, knowing that I sit in a position of, of power and privilege, um, that there are obligations uh, to my community. And my community also include my staff. I, I tell my, my staff that, um, you know, I want to see, see them succeed in life. I don't see them as just, um, individuals to produce work for our company, but to be contributing, um, individuals of society, just even as my staff. And, and, that's my role as a leadership, as a leader, is not about dictating, but about facilitating. I provide the resources for those individuals, for them to grow, for them to enact the, the, the visions that they have for their community, but they have for themselves. That is who I am as, as a leader. And those are the important things that, that I, I, I take um, when I, I engage with, with those who are underneath my leadership. Appreciate that because um, I'm a, also a true believer in lifting while you climb because I think that so many of us, no matter where we are, um, and that's a perseverance part, is that uh, we're always looking to do better and to do more um, and 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 to reach higher. But it's um, as um, you know, racialized women, it's important to to bring those around us with us as often as we can um, and kind of sometimes um, you know unveil those secrets that aren't so such big secrets after all. So um, thank you. Well, I really, really did appreciate uh, you joining me today, Station. I appreciate your insight and your honesty. Um, So much of this conversation resonated with me, particularly you are a woman of worth. I definitely love that saying, and I will be saying to that my to my daughters every night before bed because that is something that we do need to hear more of and often, and and spread that to everybody around us. So thanks so much for everyone tuning in to listening to our conversation. I encourage you to find the wealth in your own stories, and remember that true leaders create more leaders, not more followers. And we look forward to having you back on our next episode presented by IG Wealth Management. You can learn more by visiting ig.ca slash women. And you can also find that link in the description of this episode. Have a great day. This has been a Wealth of Women Stories hosted by Manjeet Minhas and presented by IG Wealth Management. The views, information, and opinions expressed are those of the featured guests and not those of IG Wealth Management.